and welcome to the latest Business Disability Forum podcast. I'm Diane Lightfoot, Chief Executive, and today we're going to be talking about technology in the run-up to the Diversity in Technology Conference that takes place on the 24th of May in London. And so I am delighted to be joined by Neil Milliken from our partner Atos. Hello, Neil. Hi there. Uh, And also the founder of one of the world's largest Twitter chats, Access Chat, uh, for a discussion on why diversity in technology is so important. And I, I really can't think of anyone better qualified to do that. So massive thanks to you, Neil, for being with us here today. And um, before we get going, as always, we would love to hear what you, our listeners, think about our podcast. So please do get in touch with us if you have any thoughts or questions at media at businessdisabilityforum.org.uk or you can call us on 0207 403 3020 or tweet us at Disability Smart. So Neil, an easy question to start with, possibly. What drives your passion to champion the inclusion of disabled people in the workplace? Well, aside from it being the right thing to do, I am dyslexic, and so I've been using assistive technology since 2001. It's been something that's helped me achieve some of the things that I wanted to do in my life, and I wanted to share that uh, experience which was really for me a sort of road to Damascus conversion to technology and then a a second one um, to assistive technology with other people and help them maximize their potential because a lot of the time if we make the right adjustments if we supply the right technology we can enable people to be fantastically effective in 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 work and and um, have great careers so for me that's why I'm passionate about it and I've seen some people amongst my peer group and people that we've delivered this to go on to do amazing things. And it's topical today, um, sadly topical, that we're recording this at the point where Stephen Hawking, Professor Stephen Hawking, has just died, age 76. And I think amongst many other attributes, he is a fantastic exemplar of the transformative power of technology and assistive technology, without whom he wouldn't have been able to do any of the, or many of the great things that he did. And certainly the world would have been denied a fantastic scientific brain. So um, a huge tribute to him. Most of us clearly aren't going to achieve the likes of what Stephen Hawking's achieved, regardless of the right technology. But we do see time and time again the huge difference it makes in people's lives in being productive at work and being able to do things that their non-disabled peers take for granted. That horrible kind of expression, levelling the playing field, but really just enabling people to be the best they can be at work. Are you happy to tell us a little bit more about your journey towards technology? Yeah, sure. How you um, kind of came to, came to embrace it? And yes, on the cusp of the generation that learned about computing at school, on the wrong side of that. <laughs> so, you know, we got marched into a classroom told this is a VDU, this is a CPU, this is what they means, right, that's your computer education done, see you later. And it wasn't until I'd actually graduated and was in the world of work that I really took to computing again. And it was really, for me, a revelation because I struggled with a lot of things at, at university and I'd found coping strategies to, to work around it, but I was handwriting all of my essays and, and so on and finding ways of, of tracking with rulers and stuff to read all, this, all of the, the, the work that I needed to get through. 
but technology would have really helped. And, and when I discovered it in the workplace and I discovered things like spell checkers and stuff that you know, was formatted and looked nice, it, it, was, it was great. And, and a really key thing for me being dyslexic was actually the discovery of Microsoft Outlook. I, I know it's not an assistive technology, but for me, it's been probably the most helpful thing in my life because it helps organize me. So calendaring and reminders and somewhere that is searchable because I need to be able to find stuff again and I can't remember where I've put it um, ha has been truly transformational in the way that I do work and organize my life. So technology is fantastic. I did my second degree and I had access to assistive technology. I, I worked from 2001 for a company called eInsist, which is also a member of the, uh, the Business Disability Hang Forum. So, oh, it was and it was while I was there that I got diagnosed with dyslexia. Runs in the family. I'd been in denial for years and just wondered why things were hard. And as I did my, my master's, I, I used assistive technology to help me with my master's. So I dictated all of my masters, including all of my exams. That was, that was great because it enabled me to express myself in a much better way. I wasn't having to worry about spelling or, or the difficulties coordinating my fingers to type. So that was, that was fantastic. Um, it was always just a cautionary tale. If, if you have an invigilator, if you're, you're um, doing your exams with voice, and they want to check that you're not cheating. So there's someone sitting watching you while you dictate. Pro tip is to make sure that you haven't highlighted your answer before you turn around to the invigilator and ask how much time you've got left. Because it overtypes the entirety of your answer. And then it overtypes your swearing, where you talk <laughs> dragon to swear. But at least the swearing will be spelled correctly. It was, because I taught it properly. Um, so... After a couple of minutes, panic, you remember control Z and undo and everything else. But, but essentially, um, yeah, make sure you turn your microphone off. Dragon's been fantastically liberating for me. I still use it. It frees up a huge amount of time. It makes me more effective in, in how I communicate. And so I want to share that with people. Now, everybody has different technology needs, so not everyone wants dictation software. You know, we supply our customers and our colleagues with things like screen readers, magnifiers, proofreading tools, etc., and, of course, the physical hardware and, and physical adjustments as well. But technology is developing really, really fast, and it's an area that I'm hugely excited about because there's a massive change coming in the way that we interact with computers. And a lot of that can be really helpful for people with disabilities. Yes, definitely. I, I, mean, I was really struck by what you said just a moment ago about Outlook not being assistive tech. Mm. And sort of two things around that, really. Um, firstly, I know that um, Hector Minto at Microsoft, um, I was going to say he's evangelical, but certainly he should be because he's a technical evangelist. That's his job. Um, he talks about the fact that assistive technology actually should just be technology. It should be mainstream. And um, it, it kind of chimes with me when thinking about productivity tools, because actually, you know, just having a laptop or a phone or even a pen, they're all productivity tools that help us to do our job better. So actually, why should using Dragon or Jaws or whatever it is be any different? And the second thing, really, you're talking about the benefits of Dragon for you. I was talking to Nicola uh, James at Lexic, and she was talking about how in society too often we value accuracy over creativity. And so if tools like Dragon can help you sort of nail the accuracy bit and actually showcase the creativity and, and the story behind it, then that's got to, be, got to be a good thing. 
So clearly, clearly, Neil, you are passionate about technology, and that that comes through, obviously. Hence, hence, asking you here today. Um, and you, but you set up Access Chat. So as well as your day job, you've set up Access Chat, which I had put down as the world's largest Twitter chat, and you very modestly said is one of the largest Twitter chats, which you run in your spare time, um, religiously every every Tuesday evening. Yeah. I think without fail, rain, shine, snow, etc. So, so what led you to set that up? Well, it can be a bit lonely in the world of accessibility, in that you, you know, especially when you're working in a really large organisation. So you really want to find ways of reaching out and, and learning from peers and finding out more information. And also, a bit like Hector, I'm quite evangelical about the topic. So I, I wanted to tell the world about how great accessibility is and how wonderful all of these productivity tools are. And I also felt that a, a little bit having been on social media for a long time, that the accessibility industry was a little bit spiky sometimes. And that what we wanted to do was find a way of reaching out to business and to non-expert people to make sure that they were part of a wider community. And I'm a big believer in community because it's together that we can really make a significant change. So uh, I thought that social media was a great place to do this. I chose a hashtag that wasn't the technical accessibility one and then I reached out to uh, a lady in the states that was well-known disability and accessibility evangelist and uh, expert Deborah Rue and we set up Access Chat we've been running for three and a half years we've got 150 plus video interviews on our website and we yes run it religiously there is no let up <laughs> could do with a holiday at some point but, but essentially, we run it every week, and anyone can get engaged. The, we, we structure all of the questions in such a way that the chat is a, a structured Q&A. There are six questions, and anyone can answer. And we deliberately make it wide to encourage people to, to get engaged, and it teases people out onto Twitter that aren't necessarily extrovert, and quite often we get novice Twitter users engaging. And this really gives us a rich conversation. And we've had, I think, something like 2.5 billion impressions on the hashtag since we started, which is more than I'd ever, ever anticipated. So it's, it's kind of a bit like riding a tiger. Once you're on, you really can't get off. So, so we definitely want to continue doing Access Chat. We want to make sure that it's sustainable and we want to engage the community further and leverage what we've done so far to help organizations bring about change and help generally uh, encourage a more positive and inclusive world well um, I, I can say that i have never ridden a tiger and i, I, I hope never to do so but i like i like that as an analogy and 2.5 billion impressions is um impressive so i mean that's that's pretty incredible i really like the fact that you are emphasizing the kind of non-techie aspect of it and the whole thing around um, technology as an enabler of people is something that i'm really passionate about it's also helpful to people of kind of my generation who grew up i suspect before you know when the only kind of technology we had at school was the language lab which as eddie, eddie Izzard says is a tape recorder and a table that was about as good as it gets so to think about the things that we've got now is quite astonishing so this is probably difficult to answer but what, what are some of the themes that you see coming up on the chat we have a really varied range of guests so we've had um, guests that are technical so we've had people like 
the guys from the, the Barclays Accessibility Team, Paul, coming on talking this week. We've also had Hayden Pickering, who wrote Inclusive Design Patterns from the Paciello Group. So, so we do do some technical stuff, but we've also had people talking about the softer side of things. So we had Fleur Bothwick from EY come on and talk about their inclusion initiatives. We had Stephen Fry come on and talk about mental health. That was that was great. I couldn't really believe it when I got a message in my direct messages saying, yes, like come on, I think it'd be quite a good thing. So that was great. We had some technical challenges that day, but we, we, we overcame it. Gosh, lots of guests. We've had over 150 so, I was going to ask you who your most memorable guest was, but I, I guess topping Stephen Fry would be quite difficult. He was memorable, and for the wrong reasons too, because he had an internet outage right in, in time for the chat. Oh dear. So, um, <laughs> so what, what we had to do was triangulate the whole thing, and his PA was trying to tweet on his behalf with 20% battery life from the director's box at Norwich City whilst he was texting her the answers from California, where he could only get one bar of mobile signal. <laughs> that, sounds like a, that sounds like a challenge. Um, okay, so apart from Access Chats, um, yes. you're also part of our own technology task force, which has been running now for 10 years. We're celebrating 10 years at the task force, can you believe it, this summer. So, so why is that important to you to be involved in that? Okay, well, I think it's really important for, for me because I work for a large organisation, a large IT organisation at that, and it's a great place for people to come and share the difficult, thorny issues that they're dealing with in a, an atmosphere which is friendly, is that people uh, are open and are able to share some of the challenges that they have implementing accessibility in an enterprise environment where you can't just throw away the old stuff and, and, and start afresh. You know, companies have sunk millions, sometimes tens of millions, sometimes hundreds of millions of, of pounds or dollars into software and systems and so on that they're running their businesses on. And they may or may not be particularly accessible. And dealing with that and dealing with the supply chain is a, a challenge that is, is common across businesses, but unique to business. And it's something that doesn't get talked about often enough. It's something that we want to talk about on, on Access Chat and we try and encourage organisations to be open a, about the challenges because we're not perfect. No, no organisation is. No one's reached that accessibility nirvana yet. But the task force is a great place to, to talk about these things and find ways of mitigating those issues and, and dealing with them and coming up with solutions and sharing what we've done and what others have done in order to make things better. And I found it really rewarding. We use the maturity model, which we've had some input into in, in a lot of the ways that we deal with uh, our own internal accessibility and also when we're working with clients. The maturity model is certainly something that has really resonated and um, I think we're going to look at how we can replicate that in other areas because it, it, it's such a good way of really identifying where you are and identifying progress and uh, priorities. Legacy issues that you've just talked about is something that we hear about a lot. So apart from the obvious, why do you think technology companies should put greater emphasis on accessibility within the product development process? Well, obviously, we have to start back with the legacy stuff. It's really expensive to retrofit accessibility. I've got some examples where people have failed to consider accessibility during a project and had to retrofit it. And, and that has cost actually 
over the cost of the original project. What, the yeah, 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 more than 100% yeah. of the, the original project budget was spent on remediating the accessibility issues, whereas actually if you plan for it, it's around 2 to 3% of the overall project cost on average. Obviously, different projects have different challenges, but that's, that's roughly the, the cost if you plan for it up front. So, huge difference. Yes, huge difference. <laughs> and, and therefore, you know, we're saying, actually, if you engage with us now, it's really not going to be that painful or, or not that expensive. I think also, as we're moving into new technology projects, there's all of these new wonderful things that we're coming across that are enabling, innately enabling. So you've got things like voice commands. You've got ways of authentication that are much less painful than before. And we've gone through a bit of a, a sort of peaks and troughs with security. Security has become a really huge issue. It's a massive issue for for large enterprises, massive issue for you know corporates and banks and so on and so forth. And what's happened is that those companies have pushed a lot of the burden of security onto the end users. So it's become a lot harder to use things like online banking over the, the yes. last few years. For me, as a dyslexic person with not brilliant working memory, forever locking myself out of my bank account because I was having to use two-factor authentication and, and getting the sequences wrong on the, the PIN numbers and stuff. Being able to use biometrics has enabled me to use banking apps again where I was unable to and I ended up having to go back from using technology to using the phone. I, I think that, that that kind of stuff is tremendously enabling and is, is something that is also going to be helping people that don't consider themselves to be disabled. There, there is a huge cohort of people out there, particularly the older generations, who their hearing's not as good as it was, their mobility's not as good as it was, you know, maybe they're wearing glasses and, and so on, and, but they don't consider themselves to be disabled. They may qualify under the Equality Act, but they would never consider themselves to be disabled and they would never go out seeking disability aids or accessibility. So just embedding this into your products right from the get-go, calling it customization or ease of use, makes a tremendous difference. Yes, definitely. And we often say that when you get things right for disabled people, you get things right for, for everybody. And I, I think that's very true in that example. And, and not just for people who may be struggling with their dexterity or hearing or eyesight, but just if you were time poor, <laughs> you know, all those sorts of things. Actually, they benefit all of us. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it takes a, it takes an awful long time to to go backwards and forwards with two-factor authentication. Even more if you're ringing up the help desk to reset stuff, <laughs> and then they send your pin pin number through the post. Yes, indeed. Um, yes. So so yeah, saving a lot of time. And when it comes to business, actually, when you're looking at the amount of time, even seconds per transaction, and not necessarily financial transactions, but all of the things that you're doing throughout the day build up to huge sums of money quite quickly. So you know, we're a 100,000 person company. If we start losing a couple of minutes per person per day, that's mounting into millions. It matters. It yeah. really matters. Yeah. It, it adds up, literally. So that all makes complete sense. So, so I guess why isn't it happening? What, what do you think is the greatest challenge facing the accessible workplace technology movement? That's a bit of a mouthful. There's, there's numerous challenges, some of which is fragmentation in that organizations, especially large ones, operate in silos. And so it's difficult to get the message across the whole of the organization. I think that also sometimes the 
standards around accessibility are somewhat impenetrable and they're looking they're, they're sort of designed for experts and, and actually what we want is stuff that's designed for everyone I half jokingly say that the um, web content accessibility guidelines are a cognitive accessibility nightmare because they are really difficult to understand and all of the numbering is really difficult you know people are saying well it's guideline 2.1 remember which one it is I can understand the core principles and so if we take stuff back to the core principles which are that things need to be perceivable operable understandable and robust then everyone can understand them we I think we quite often get wrapped up in the technicalities of this stuff um, and, and don't do a very good job of communicating yes I think you're right and then people think it's more difficult than it is so what advice would you offer technology providers who are interested in developing or expanding an accessibility initiative? So I would say that, firstly, don't hesitate, do it. It, it will pay back, but that the, the payback is not necessarily the, the primary motivation. I think what you will find is that you will get, um, you should be looking at finding and ways of satisfying users and finding ways to make stuff easy. So yes, try and follow accessibility standards, but the, the key thing is making stuff easy for people. It's, it's giving people options and making sure stuff is clear and, and, and that they can be successful. And, and that is in every business's interest. You don't want to have a product that people can't use. If you're selling something, you don't want to have a shop where people can carry the stuff, but they can't, you know, they can go around with the trolley, but they can't use the checkout. Yeah, I'm interested that you use the word use or usable, because sometimes the words accessible and usable get used interchangeably, and they're, they're not the same thing, but there's no. definitely a sweet spot in the middle, isn't there? There is. Where you can create something that is both accessible and usable, and that then works for the widest possible amount of people, which yeah. is logically has got to be a good thing. Yeah, so there is this perception that accessibility is making stuff work with screen readers. And a lot of the early work has been about that, and a lot of the standards and the technical standards relate to the interoperability with assistive tech. But there is also a, a huge part of it which is about making stuff obvious, making sure that people can understand how to use stuff, which is you know, part of those underlying principles too, which has this massive overlap with, with um, usability, which is essentially good product design, good marketing, just yeah. good business. Yeah, absolutely. So finally, how do you inspire the next generation and help them to understand the importance of removing barriers between organisations and technology specifically for disabled people? Okay, so there are a few things we're doing. Firstly, as an accessibility professional that has grown up using a language lab, so I'm older than maybe you thought. <laughs> well, maybe um, you're on my own <laughs> um, So we've started an apprentice program within within our organisation. We're on our second cohort of apprentices now. That's been one way of growing the skill base. I'm looking to actually make a national standard for apprenticeships in accessibility so that it becomes a recognised career path for people. I think that one of the things that we need to portray is the idea of situational disability. So, um, and stop. And this is something Microsoft have done well with is with their little illustrations of how you know 
the facilities that you get through accessibility are also really useful in other situations and scenarios like drop curbs being good for mums with prams or delivery drivers, captioning being good if you happen to be in a noisy bar, etc. But also that doing accessibility enables you to knit together all of the cool technologies. So speech, haptics, assistive technologies tend to get to play with all the cool tools first. So that's one of the real joys of, of the job is that you get to play around with new technology because you've got the excuse, well, it might be useful. Well, that sounds pretty good. Um, I also heard yesterday, and forgive me, I don't know the source of this stat, that in a survey, 75% of millennials thought that diversity was really important. I think that was in the context of business. But uh, if that's also true of technology, then, then hopefully, hopefully we're in the right place. So I would agree. Um, I, I, for the last couple of years, I've also been our lead for diversity, broader diversity within the organisation. And diversity is really key to business survival. This is a really difficult time for businesses because there is such a huge amount of change. What we really, what imperils businesses most is homogeneity because that leads to groupthink. And in a time where there is so much going on, so much rapid change, we need the broadest spectrum of ideas possible. So employing people from different cultural backgrounds across generations with differing abilities is, is really key to being able to think differently, being able to innovate. And, and one of the things that we use to sell accessibility is the fact that uh, it's a driver for innovation because if you understand the needs of people with complex needs and, and complex technologies, then you're going to find new ways of doing things. You are indeed. That's a very good point to finish off. Thank you, Neil. Um, um, inspirational as ever and brilliant in the run-up to the Diversity and Technology Conference, which, as I mentioned, takes place on the 24th of May at the Business Design Centre in London. And um, I'm, a, I'm very pleased to say that as a speaker, I have a discount code to share with all our listeners. So if you want to book on, please quote the code SPEAKERS15, it's quite simple, to get 15% off your ticket price. Um, so thanks again to Neil for joining us today. As I mentioned at the start, please do feel free to get in touch if you've got any questions about what we've spoken about today, any comments, any thoughts, we would always love to hear them. Um, you can email us at media at businessdisabilityforum.org.uk. You can call us on 0207-403-3020 or tweet us at disabilitysmart. Uh, so that's it from us from this time and we look forward to speaking with you on our next podcast. Music